Good morning and good afternoon, everybody. You know, I was a little nervous about preaching this late into the program. I was worried that some of you might be too hungry to hear the Word of God. That, that, that you might be too tired to hear a sermon from God's Word. That you want to go home and watch a little bit of football. But if you're fired up to, this afternoon to hear the Word preached, let me hear from you. I was told to lay you out today. Can you handle being laid out today? Or do you want a Jell-O pudding sermon? Anybody want some meat and potatoes? I'm honored to be able to speak today. Let me first of all, for all of you churches that are visiting from around the Southwest and the tribe, let me first of all say, welcome City of Angels Church. We so much appreciate the members of the City of Angels Church. You know, I want to begin by thanking my teacher, my leader, my brother, my friend who I've followed for over 40 years in two movements. Thank you so much, Kip and Elena, for reaching out to me and Emma, for grabbing a hold of us, making me go through first principles again, even though I was there when you invented it. I appreciate you nursing me and my family back to spiritual health. Thank you so much. I want to thank my best friend, my partner in the gospel, Tim and Leanne Kernan. Uh, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here. Thank you for your generosity. Uh, I came into the City of Angels Church hurting, but you and Leanne had vision for us. You shared your church with us. You shared your members with us. Some of them, no, we like them all. We like them all. We like all of them. Uh, but we're so grateful for how generous you've been and how you've been such a great friend. Thank you for nursing us back to health as well. Uh, to our shepherds in the City of Angels Church, the Kirshners and the Antalans, we love you guys. To all of the regional staff and ministry leaders, I stand up here today representing all of these brothers and sisters. Now, I want you to know, I, I did not come up here today to make you feel good. Uh, that, that is not my goal. Now, if you feel good, okay, as long as you're convicted. But I, I'm here today to make you feel God. The title of our lesson is Faith for the Future. Faith for the future. You know, for those of us in the City of Angels Church, this kicks off our fall. And as we go into the fall, 
we're going to need a lot of faith for the future that God has in store for us. Do you realize that this is the last few months of this decade? In just a couple of months, we will be well into our way of two decades into the next century. But how's your faith going to finish this decade as you prepare to go into 2020? I want to challenge us all to be faith ready. Not to be faith half ready, to be faith okay, but to be faith ready. Turn in your Holy Scriptures over to Isaiah chapter 25. I'm coming. I plan on being up here as long as you can take it. Isaiah 25. Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. You know, God indeed has a plan for us. We're, we're not here by accident. The fall that you're going to be going into in just a couple of weeks is a fall that God has got planned out for you. But it's going to require that you have some faith. I don't know about you, but I like this idea of God being perfectly faithful. Oh, y'all don't want to hear the word this morning. I said we serve a God who is perfectly faithful. You're not perfectly faithful. But God is faithful to all of his plans. An unknown author was quoted by saying, do something today that your future will thank you for tomorrow. The greatest thing that you can do for yourself today is to get yourself faith ready for the future God has in store for you. You know, one Sunday recently, the following obituary was distributed at the first neglected church. You see, Mr. Faithful, Mr. Faithful died recently. He was a member of the first neglected church on Worldly Avenue. He was born many years ago through the impact of a revival and a restoration service. But for the past several years, Mr. Faithful has been failing in his health. The last church service that he attended, he was but a shadow of his old former self. They administered large doses of fear, foolishness, and failure, but to no avail. The experts, Dr. Doubt, Dr. Discouragement, and Dr. Dissension, could not actually agree on what were the causes of his death. 
At postmortem, it showed he had a high deficiency in his spiritual food. He had simply stopped having quiet times. He didn't pray anymore, didn't allow himself to be discipled, no attendance to Bible talk. He simply stopped making any kinds of contributions to the church. All this with his declining faith contributed to his death. No one showed up at the funeral. You know, unfortunately, if we're not careful and we don't make ourselves faith ready, this passage can describe, this obituary can describe any of us here today. But thank God, it will never describe the city of Angels Church. Amen, guys. How many of you feel like today you have all the faith that you need for the fall? Go ahead and raise your hand. I was hoping I wouldn't see any hands. The truth is, is we all need an increase in our faith. Look over in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. In Luke 17, in verse 5 and 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples something very important to avoid having their faith killed. He says in verse three, so watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back and says, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be rooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. You know, we usually think of faith as being exercised with dramatic miracles. Something big and unbelievable and miraculous happened and, and faith certainly has those properties. But Jesus says here, you need the most faith in dealing with each other. He said the sin that occurs between each other, you're going to need some faith to help you overcome that. He says if your brother sins against you, forgive him. If he sins against you again, forgive him. And again, forgive him. And again, forgive him. And again, forgive him. How's your forgiveness this morning? The disciples recognized something here. They recognized the need to overcome sin over and over and over again. They also learn and understand here that it's not just having faith. Some of us think it's okay, well, let, let me just have faith. No, it's just not just having faith, it's having faith in God. 
Brothers and sisters, sin is a future and faith buster. Sin has deep roots in people's lives. The scriptures here gives the example of the mulberry tree. The mulberry tree is extraordinarily strong with very, very deep roots. It's virtually indestructible. Its roots are deep and long and broad and strong and last over 600 years. Jesus says, bitterness in your heart can be like that. You got some mulberry sin in your heart, brothers and sisters? Some of us have been walking around with deep-rooted sin and bitterness and anger towards our brothers. Somebody needs to ask for more faith today. Before we're even ready to begin our Fall City of Angels Church, we got to make sure we're right with each other. I don't have time to say any more about that. I'm, I'm sure you're very happy about that. <laughs> so sin has deep roots and it affects our faith, but the apostles say increase our faith. You know, to grow your faith, your faith has to be tested by some bad weather. This is how you become faith ready. I love my dear brother Aaron Turner. He talks about being a greenhouse Christian. talks about being a greenhouse Christian. You know what a greenhouse is, right? You're, you're a plant in a glass house. When it rains outside, no rain gets on you. When it snows, no snow gets on you. The gardener comes into the greenhouse. He takes care of you. You live your life in perfect conditions. There's no such thing as a greenhouse Christian in this Bible. If you want greater faith, you've got to face some bad weather. It's not going to be perfect this fall in Los Angeles. Things are going to happen, and we're going to have to overcome them, and we're going to have to be faithful anyway. You know, there's an incredible industry called the distressed goods industry. And many of you have bought furniture that's distressed. It's new, but before you get it, they sand it down with rough sandpaper. They take a torch and they burn the top of it. They take a file and they poke it and scratch it and dent it and kick it and hammer it and beat it up. And then they sell it to you for more money than a new piece of furniture. <laughs> or some of you, you see some of us older people wearing our brand new jeans. You know the stiff, real dark blue ones that are real stiff with the bell bottoms? <laughs> that we can't move in as old people? And we walk around in and you're like, look at that poor older brother in those tight, <laughs> uncomfortable jeans. Well, what kind of jeans do you like? You like the distressed models. You like the ones that have been crinkled and wrinkled, bleach pouring on them, ripped, 
Some of you, I don't know what, I don't even know if you were wearing jeans or short pants. You had rips all over your jeans. You like the baggy ones. Jesus says that's what needs to happen to your faith. Your faith has to face some tough weather. There are many of us going through tough weather right now. I want to challenge you, welcome to Christianity. Let me tell you why. Look over in 1 Peter chapter 1. I've got two points. I'm making my way there. 1 Peter chapter 1. And verse 7. In all this you greatly rejoice, so now for a little while you may have had to suffer griefs of all kinds of trials. These have come so that your so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which persists even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You've got to face some bad weather if you want your faith to grow. Jesus says it's got to be stretched. It's got to be pulled. It's got to be beat on. It's got to be distressed so that it can get stronger and longer and more powerful. He says, this is what makes your faith genuine. You know, there's too much whining in the City of Angels Church. Peter said, we greatly rejoice in challenges. For some of you, you get challenged and you stop coming to Bible talk. You get challenged and you stop sharing your faith. You get challenged and you stop giving your contribution. You stop pulling back. You stop being fruitful. My Bible says that we should rejoice when our faith is tested. Because it's of greater worth than gold. Peter says, if your faith doesn't go through some things, it's fake. He says, it's not genuine. One of the reasons I love Kip and Elena is they have been through some stuff. And they're still faithful. Some of you, you go through one thing and you just throw away your faith. Somebody blew their horn at me on the highway this morning. Bye, Faith. Oh, brother so-and-so doesn't want to date me. Bye, Faith. Listen, that's not the one God has for you anyway. I've noticed something. People don't counterfeit things that aren't worth much, do they? You don't see anybody counterfeiting a dish towel, right? Does anybody counterfeit a garbage bag? Does anybody counterfeit air? You know, here's some counterfeit. No, air is free. What do people counterfeit? Things that are valuable. 
They counterfeit jewels, art, money, Gucci bags. Oh, don't try and act like you don't know what I'm talking about. I've seen some disciples counterfeiting Gucci bags. You say, well, how do I know? I saw the zipper. The zipper doesn't work on your bag. That's how I know. We don't want any counterfeit faith this fall. We want to go through things and be faithful and fruitful for God anyway. Can I dedicate a passage to the sisters today? I love my dear wife, Emma. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her. You might not know this, but I'm tough to live with. And she's been with me going on 40 years. Thank you, Sheila. But I think Ruth is an example of being faith ready. In Ruth chapter two, in chapter one, of course, her mother-in-law, Naomi, lost her husband, lost her sons, all at the same time. She decides, hey, I've got to go back to my people. I've got to go back to the people of God. Daughters, you stay here with the Moabites. One of the daughters decides to stay, but not Ruth. Ruth said, I'm with you. I'm committed, I'm sold out, I'm with you heart and soul. Your people are my people. Where you go, I go. If you die without me, may the Lord curse me. Boaz hears about it in chapter two. In verse 11 he says, Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law. For some of us, if somebody would tell our mother-in-law what we did, we'd be scared to death. <laughs> Not Ruth. I've been told all about what you did for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people that you did not know. That's all of us in the kingdom of God. We have come to live with the people we do not know. God has brought us all together from every walk of life. Now we're all disciples and family and brothers and sisters under the banner of Jesus Christ, ready to die for the gospel and evangelize this world and our generation. He says, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. In other words, who you have come to trust and believe. What a woman, Ruth. He says, I see your loyalty. I see your faith. I see your commitment. I see how you have left your people 
and you have taken refuge under the wings of the Lord. You know, that idea of wings is interesting to me. When I think of refuge and when I think of protection, I don't think of bird wings. I'm actually scared of birds. <laughs> Am I the only one? If a bird came in here right now, would I be the only one afraid? I, I guess I am. I'm afraid of birds. I'm not afraid to admit it. But I don't, I don't think of refuge when I think of birds, and, and yet the wings of a bird is the perfect example here. Because there's two properties with bird wings. The, the wings are smooth, and they're both fluffy. The smooth part of the bird's wing have these little stiff barb hooks on them. And so when the bird, uh, a chick is inside of the wings and the, the wings come together, they lock in like a zipper. And that bird is locked in tight. And the feathers keep the bird warm. And so when Boaz says, you've taken refuge, He's saying to Ruth, God's got you covered. You're safe with God. No matter what's going on outside, you're safe with God. You know, today, what we're going to need for the fall is to be faithful in our fruitfulness. You know, fruitfulness is one of the most important commands in the Bible. In John chapter 15, turn over there with me real quickly. In John 15, fruitfulness means everything to God. In John 15 and verse 8, he says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The most visible evidence that we're Jesus' disciples is the fruit that we bear in our lives. He says up in verse 4, though, that you've got to remain in me and I in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. You know, in the fruit system, that, in the uh, uh, tree system that Jesus is talking about here, in John chapter 15, the roots are so intertwined and ran together, you can't tell where one branch begins and another one ends. He says, you're not the vine. The Lord's the vine, and you're the branches. You know, sometimes as branches, we don't like remaining in the vine. I was in a D time with a brother the other day. He said, hey, I just want to be my own man. And I watched him just drop off the vine for a few minutes. And there he was laying down there. <laughs> I'm all hooked into the vine, filled with nutrients. And there he is laying down there on the ground. I'm my old man. And I'm watching him start to get crackly, drying all up down there. Look at you. Look at you down there. You may be, there may be some others of us in here today that we've fallen off of the, we've fallen off of the vine. You, you're, you're laying down there on your own, drying up spiritually. 
saying, I'm my own man. I'm doing me. Let me tell you something. You get off the vine, you're not going to be doing me long. You're going to dry up real fast. Fruit bearing is very important to God. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, the first commandment in Scripture is to be fruitful and multiply. It was after sin and forgiveness. Sometimes we go, well, well I'm just getting out of sin. I can't go share my faith. Be fruitful and multiply. After that, in Genesis chapter 9, there's the flood. And he says, after they come out of the ark, after he saved them and, and helped them, and he says, be fruitful and multiply after your rescue. You know, there's some of us, God has rescued us. What's the first command? Be fruitful and multiply. And then in Genesis chapter 17, turning, turning your Bibles over there. Because this is the first time it was given to a redeemed people. In Genesis chapter 17, he gives a command for the first time to a redeemed people. In chapter 1 verse, uh, in chapter 17 verse 1, Abraham says, I'm 99 years old. Let me tell you something, you're never too old to be fruitful. He says, I'm 99 years old. The Lord appeared to him and said, I'm God Almighty. Amen? You're 34, I'm God Almighty. You're 40, I'm God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. And kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you. This is very personal. God says, you know what? For my redeemed people, I'm going to make you fruitful. I'm going to make you into a nation. Brothers and sisters, there's so much fruit-bearing potential in us if we'll just have a little faith. He says, I'm going to turn you into a nation. Let me show you something in Revelations, and then I'm going to get off this point and finish up. I have more to say, but I don't have time. I sense that you're getting hungry for food instead of spiritual food. Revelations chapter 7 because we've got to start sharing our faith with this perspective. Revelations 7, verse 9. 
After this, I looked, and there before me was a great, crowd, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. What is this a picture of? This is a picture of the future of heaven. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. This is your fruit. We're God's answer to Revelations chapter 7. This is the fruit that we will bear. God is going to have many people in heaven because of you. And we need to start sharing our faith with this in mind, knowing that heaven's going to be full and we're going to help fill it up. Amen, church? Amen. Two things that you need to do to be more fruitful this fall, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, chapter 4. Two things, and then I want to talk about being fruitful in fundraising. Colossians chapter 4. In Colossians chapter 4, two things. If you do these two things, you'll be fruitful this fall. Look in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it as clearly as I should. Two things are needed this fall. Number one, ask God. Number two, ask people. Number one, ask God. Number two, ask people. The Bible says, pray for me. Pray, Paul says, that I may proclaim it as clearly as I should. When's the last time you asked somebody else to pray for you to be fruitful? Go ahead and turn to the person next to you right now. Ask them to pray that you'll be fruitful this fall. Pray. Ask the person on the other side. Ask the person behind you. Some of you need to get up and walk around and ask everybody in here to pray for you. That's all that's needed. Okay, so now that you've got people praying for you, now that you've got all these people praying for you to be fruitful, now you've got to do your part and start asking people. Are you with me, church? You know, I asked some brothers to pray for me to be fruitful recently, and I was on my way to a staff meeting. I asked them, pray that I, I can proclaim it as clearly as I should. You know, what if you proclaim the message as clearly as you should. How fruitful could you be? Can we get everybody to make that commitment today? We're going to try to proclaim it as, cl as clearly as we should. Before I go to my next point, I do want to confess a sin because I had some brothers praying this for me. 
I was on my way to staff meeting a couple weeks ago, and, and I was at the pump. I was finished. I was running late. I was rushing. And this guy walked out of nowhere, and he says, can you help me get some air? And I'm like, uh, no, I'm busy. I got to go to staff meeting. And I drove off. And I, I got about a block away, and I thought, that was my guy everybody's praying for. And, I, and he wants air, and I got plenty of spiritual air for him. And I said, forget, I'm going to be late for staff. I turned around to go back, and he was gone. I sat there in my car, and literally I just wept and was late for staff meeting anyway. I believe that guy would have become a Christian. I started praying and fasting immediately. God, let somebody run into this man again. I know you had chosen him to become a disciple. You see, we've got to do two things. We've got to ask God and we've got to ask people. And then finally, we've got to be faithful in our fundraising. You know, I'm so excited about all the 12 churches that were planted this year. It takes a lot of love, it takes a lot of money to plant a church. And the City of Angels Church the California churches, the Southwest churches, and the churches in the tribe and disciples all around the world are incredible at sacrificing and giving money for missions. But more is needed. You say, why do we have to give so much right now? Because you became a Christian in the early years when resources were tight. You know, our movement was founded in Portland. The mascot of Portland are the trailblazers. You guys are trailblazers in God's modern day movement. Trailblazers have always had to pay a greater price to get something done. And in these earlier years, to get the gospel around the world, we're in six continents and 40 nations, but there's so much more to go, it's gonna take a lot of money. And we've gotta be okay with that as trailblazers. I wanna share from a passage that the religious world uses more than we do that we need to take back. Matthew chapter 22. Because you know what? Love has no loopholes. You, you can't tell God, well, I love you and not sacrifice. Matthew 22 verse 34. A lawyer tries to drill Jesus about the law. That was foolish because Jesus invented the law. And he said, you know what it says. You know, sometimes we do that. We see something in the Bible and we ask our disciples, what does that mean? You know what that means. You know what it says. Verse 34, hearing that, Jesus silenced the Sadducees and Pharisees. 
One of the experts of the law tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law of the prophets hang on these two commands. You know, I forgot that this is legislation. This is a command to love God and to love people. If you do these two things, you do everything else. ICCM students, what if all you had to do is get two questions right in order to get your bachelor's degree? Jesus doesn't beat around the bush. He says, love me. I command you to love me. I wish I could do that in my region. I wish I could command Metro Heights, love me. How would you like to do that in the D time when somebody's being defensive? Love me! He says, love me with all your heart. You can't love somebody and not give them things. Here's a deep spiritual truth. When you love somebody, you give them the best you have. I want to close out in Genesis chapter 4. Single sisters, if a brother says he loves you, believes in you, and doesn't give you anything, be suspicious. Listen, giving is very serious with God. And in Genesis chapter 4, and as we prepare to go into missions, our God is counting on us. Our missionaries are counting on us. This lost world is counting on us. I don't want to tell you what to give today, but I want to give you a mindset as you prepare for giving this fall. And the mindset is simply this. In your missions this fall, will you have the religion of Cain or the faith of Abel? Genesis chapter 4, Eve says, with the help of the Lord, in verse 1, I brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Cain kept the flocks 
Now, now, pardon me. Now, Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits from the soil and, uh, as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? What's your mindset going to be like in missions? Are you going to have the religion of Cain or the faith of Abel? Cain's name means acquisition. His religion was empty because there was no real sense of sin that Cain felt in his life. And so when it was time to make an offering to God, Cain came before God with no sense of sin in his life. And he brought the Lord an inadequate offering. You know, when you're not grateful for what God has done for you, it'll be reflected in your giving. Because when you think you're not bad, there's no gratitude. There's no sense that God deserves my very best. The name Abel means exaltation. Cain came in humanity. Abel came in spirituality. Cain came before God in pride. Abel came before God in humility. Cain came before God with an arm full of crops. Abel came before God with a sacrificial lamb dripping in blood. Abel had crops too. But Abel said, you know what? I want to give God something greater than crops. What, what can you give God that's greater than things? Life. Cain brought life before God. And God said, I like that gift right there. That's my kind of gift right there. But can you imagine how God must have felt when Cain 
came before him with the sacrificial lamb dripping in blood. God was like, he gets it. He's looking out over hundreds and hundreds of years. He gets it. And it reminded him of Jesus. I don't know what you're going to give in missions this fall. But is your gift going to remind God of what he gave you? Let's give our best in missions this fall. In closing, in Luke City of New York, and by the way, last year in this country was one of the most charitable years in the history of our nation. More money was given to uh, organizations than any time in the history of America. There's a lot of money people are raising out there for causes significantly less than ours. But there was a children's museum in New York that caught wind of this. And they wanted to see what really motivated people to give. And so they took this large box and they set it in a children's museum. And they had two boxes, the one box they just put a set of eyes on the box. The other box, they had a, a chair painted on the box. And on the top of the box, it says, please donate. That was it. The other box on the top, please donate. And that was it. They put the box out with the chair on it, and they got some donations. Not bad, not great. They put the box out there with the eyes on it, and millions were put into that box. Because they understood that when people are watching, you tend to do more. Well, I want you to know something, guys. God is watching. His eyes is on the box. And as we finish up this incredible decade, God has a great fall planned for us. His faithfulness is perfect in every way. But we got to decide today that we're going to be faith ready when God is ready to use us. And then secondly, we've got to decide, you know what? I'm going to be fruitful. I'm going to be faithful and fruitful in the fall. To be fruitful, all you've got to do is two things. You've got to ask God, and you've got to ask people. And then remember, love has no loopholes. God commands you to love him. It's legislation. It's biblical legislation. You've got to love God. And as we prepare to give missions this fall in the City of Angels Church, let's not give with the religion of Cain. Let's give with the faith of Abel. To God be the glory.